If you like this podcast once a week, what about getting more skin? Maybe in your ears, maybe every day. As of now, you can. Meet Skim This. Every Monday through Friday, we're breaking down the biggest news stories of the day and giving you the context on why they actually matter. We'll connect the dots to provide clarity through all the chaos. Search Skim This right now wherever you're listening to this podcast and hit subscribe so you don't miss it. Now let's go to today's episode. And there was this part of me that was like, hmm, I see how you can get stuck in this. I see how if you don't make a jump now, you might not make one. And so after about two years, I made this choice where it was like, I'm going to go out. I'm going to try journalism. I'm going to try and find a job. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that. I'm Carly Zakin. I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. This podcast is where we go deep on career advice from women who have lived it, from the good stuff like hiring and growing a team to the rough stuff like negotiating your salary and giving or getting hard feedback. We started the skim from a couch, so what better place to talk it all out than where it began on a couch? So please welcome Rebecca Jarvis to our couch. Rebecca was born and raised in Minneapolis, and growing up, she had a passion for both journalism and econ. As a teenager, she was a TV reporter for a local kids program, and she edited the school paper. But after college, she decided to pursue her interest in finance. It wasn't until years later that she decided to get back to journalism. It worked out pretty okay. Rebecca is now the chief business, tech, and economics correspondent at ABC News. That is quite a title. (laughs) And she's got her own podcast, No Limits, with Rebecca Jarvis, where she interviews women about what it takes to build their business empires. After this episode, head over there because Rebecca interviews us this week. In the meantime, Rebecca, it's our turn. Welcome to the couch. Thank you. It's so good to be here. I love what you're doing. Well, likewise, and we're thrilled to have you. So we are the skim. So let's skim you. Can you skim your resume for us? All right. Okay. So um, you mentioned the the early years, the the sort of high school. I, I was on this show in high school called The Whatever Show. Uh, Which I love this <laughs> I name. Love that. And we literally said, you're watching whatever and did the oh W with God. the fingers. How um, old were you? <laughs> 15. I love that. I worked for the student newspaper and they were just launching this show on the NBC affiliate when I was in high school. And so they went around to all of the local high schools and said, you know, is there anyone here who wants to come and audition? And of course, you know, dream come true. I want to be on the whatever show. Uh, But it was a great, it was such a great experience. It was really fun. I did it for my last two years of high school. Um, And you mentioned the college component of my life. So I, when I went to college, my mom's a journalist and my grandfather was a journalist. So journalism was always something I grew up around and it was something I was really interested in. But I also had other interests. And in college, I ended up pursuing some of that. I studied constitutional law and economics and um, basically graduated with a lot of student debt and realized that if I went initially into journalism, paying off that student debt was, you know, I don't know. It wasn't going to happen. I mean, literally, I might have still been sitting here today (laughs) talking about paying off student debt. So I went into banking initially, did two years of that. 
left banking, did uh, worked for print journalism. I wrote for Cranes in this magazine called Business 2.0. Um, at 23, I think it was, um, there was this show, I don't know if you've heard of it, called The Apprentice. And, I don't think um, I've ever heard of it. <laughs> yeah. It was a game show and I was a contestant on it. <laughs> and um, so I did that uh, totally on a lark, thinking like, this will all be a wash, you know, and ended up post that going back to my job in journalism. So you didn't win. Well, were you fired? <laughs> shucks. Actually, you know what? I don't technically think I was fired. Um, I, I only literally I've seen every episode of the show during the time that I was on it one time. So um, I don't technically think I was fired, but I, I made it to the end, but I didn't get the job. But uh Second place turned out to be pretty fun for me. Um, and I ended up getting recruited by a number of places, one of them being CNBC, which I ended up going to work for and started with CNBC, did that early on. That's what moved me here to New York. I was in Chicago at the time. And then from CNBC, financial crisis hit. Every network was looking for people who could talk about the market and the economy and my background coming from the world of finance. Um, was useful in that regard, as well as the work that I was doing at CNBC. So I went to work for CBS. And then six years ago, I made the jump to ABC, which is where we are now. So you've done the network tour. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've tasted the rainbow. Yes. Um, what's not on your resume? Tell us one thing about your career that we can't find on LinkedIn. Well, all of these these jobs and things like that, they're all on the resume. But I think the things that aren't on the resume, it, it and, and it's interesting, one of my, I think one of my interns said this to me over the summer. She said, all, everything that you've done, it, it just seems so clear, like you were on this path and you were making these choices. And I think that that clarity only comes in retrospect. And I think that what's not on the resume is that in each of these moves, while it, you know, knock on wood, things have worked out, it never was that obvious at the time that it was going to. In fact, everything felt like a risk. There were always trade-offs. It was never perfect. It, you're never, at least in my experience, it's never like perfect job, perfect time, perfect place, perfect salary. All of those things are trade-offs. And so for me, like that's something that I've learned along the way that you just kind of have to take a leap each time. And then also acknowledge that if it's not going to work, you're going to fix it. You're going to go somewhere else or you're going to talk to the boss or you're going to talk to your colleagues and find another way. So we said that you have a lot of job titles. Uh, <laughs> what do what your titles actually mean? What is your day to day? So I, for ABC News, cover business, technology and the economy daily for all of the shows on ABC. So Good Morning America, I start my day with Good Morning America. Um, today, for example, I covered the stock market. So what time do you morning. wake up? Mm, 4.35. So we start with Good Morning America. And then I oftentimes post GMA will run and do meetings or conversations like this. We tape a lot of segments for No Limits, my podcast at this time, or I'll go out and do shoots. Then I get to my other office. So GMA is in Times Square. Um, the rest of ABC News is on the Upper West Side. So I'll go to that part of the office and start working on world news. World news is at 630. 
uh, PM. So I'll do a story for World News oftentimes, whether it's about, you know, a company like Facebook or Amazon or the stock market or the economy, jobs, housing, all of those things fall under my title. And then I often will do longer form stuff for Nightline, which is later at night as well. Do you just have a bed at ABC? <laughs> I do have, as you guys know, because you've sat on it, I do have a couch in my office. It's a which, comfortable couch. It's a really comfortable couch. It's a very cute office. I'm glad that you felt comfortable on it. It works for sleeping in a pinch. So yeah, I've slept on that. I wouldn't say I've slept on it a huge amount, but I always set my um, my phone alarm to make sure I wake up. And I'm always worried that somebody is going to walk in the <laughs> office and I would be sound it's like asleep. the Seinfeld episode yes. under the desk. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you've had a lot of um, kind of a back and forth and also intermingling of finance and journalism. What originally drew you to journalism as a profession? So I mentioned my mom and my grandfather, and I think it was really growing up with my mom one of the things there was a lot of you know take your daughter to work day not because it was not because it was part of the organized thing it was like oh, we don't have childcare and the kids are coming to the office today with me and as a result i spent a lot of time getting to see what she did and of course i was a kid and didn't have a full understanding but something that really attracted me to the job were her interviews and every now and then i would you know get to kind of overhear an interview of hers or she had tapes everything was on tape back then and she'd be going through them and listening and i always was really mesmerized by this idea of curiosity and being able to ask questions of anyone and I remember a conversation when I was a kid. I said, Mom, you know, are you allowed to ask that question of this person? Because it was a it was she was doing an investigation at the time. And she said, Becky, it's my job to ask these questions. And I thought that was great. Like I was really interested in being able to pick up the phone and call anyone and ask questions that, of course, they don't have to answer the question. We always hope that they do. But I love that about this job, that it's really about curiosity and seeking information and truth. So from 2003 to 2005, you are plugging away as a currency trader. How did you know it was time to make a change? I mean, you started off by saying that you purposely didn't go into journalism right away because there were financial considerations. Mm -hmm. So how did you know that now is the time for the change? So it was a job that, I, I mean, I talked about my schedule now. The schedule there was just brutal. You know, you would I slept maybe two or three hours a night for most of that time. And they've improved, actually, investment banking in general. From what I hear, they've they put some restrictions around it. But back then, it wasn't like that. And for me, there were a lot of unfortunately miserable experiences. At the same time, I wouldn't change a thing. I genuinely am glad that I started out and did it. But there were so many times where I would just say, is this what my life is really about? Like, I, there's a lot of, um, you know, you sit in front of Excel spreadsheets. That's what you spend a lot of time doing. There's a lot of taking um, companies 10Ks and 10Qs. Those are their financial You're describing statements. describing my health. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, and it, and it did feel that way at times. It felt, I would forget, we traveled a lot. I would forget what city I was in. Um, you know, I remember on my birthday, I uh, it was a Saturday and I was still working and, you know, it was just it was a it was a hard experience. The best outcome is that I met my husband on that job. Um, we sat back to back in a cubicle and um, he was a good friend to me throughout most of my you know experience there. And then he left and I eventually left. But um, 
I just got to this point where I remember I was working on a deal. We were selling a lawn and garden products company. And working on that deal, I would sit at my desk thinking, I wish instead of working on this deal, I was reporting about it, um, talking about what's happening in, in deal making in general. And it just came to a point where I realized from looking around actually at other people who they had at least earlier in my time at, at um, in, in investment banking had suggested they wanted to leave, but they were still there. And there was this part of me that was like, hmm, I see how you can get stuck in this. I see how if you don't make a jump now, you might not make one. And so after about two years, I made this choice where it was like, I'm going to go out. I'm going to try journalism. I'm going to try and find a job. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that. A lot of people, by the way, didn't think that was a good idea. They were like, you don't leave a job without another job. Um, but I I felt like there was not even time to interview for another job. And I made this point in my head of two years, figure it out. If not, there's always business school, law school alternatives. And that's how I took the leap. So that's how you took the mental leap. But yeah. what was it like to actually start interviewing and tell the story of you having this finance background and then kind of going into a totally different industry industry from a resume perspective. Yeah. So one of the best things, um, and it was advice given to me by my mom. So I was in Chicago at the time. My mom was a journalist in um, Minneapolis at the time, but she gave me this advice. And by the way, she didn't know anyone in Chicago, but she said, basically, pitch editors story ideas Go into every pitch, every coffee that you have, go in with a few story ideas. And if they're not willing to have you write those ideas for for money to be paid, offer to write one for them for free. And she was like, don't tell them you'll can do we, it for can free. Can we pause on that for a second? Yeah. Because we actually, I'm really fascinated by that. And yeah. I want to hear what your reaction to, and I, I, and I want to stop you before you tell us your reaction, sure. because it's actually something that comes up a lot, I think now, um, kind of with the next generation of yes. workforce. Uh, and you've had horrible experiences with that. I remember like when you were looking for jobs back in the day where companies tend to take advantage yep. of quote-unquote free work. Yeah. So I now want you to answer the rest of the story. So, and and by the way, I've seen it happen. I mean, I, I, luckily, I'll, I'll finish my story in a second, but it didn't happen in my case. But what I see all the time, and it's not just journalism. I mean, um, businesses will say, hey, like put together a PowerPoint deck of what you would do around X, Y, and Z. Should we buy this company? Should we not? What What's the terrain? And basically, they're getting free labor out of you. Um, ultimately, it may be because this was 10 plus years ago now, um, over 10 years ago, they the internet wasn't the way that it is and free labor wasn't the... But anyway, I luckily, I didn't have to write it for free. So I went in with my three pitches and one of the story ideas, so this was... Um, 2005. And all of the stories were based on the trends that I had seen in investment banking. So one of the stories, this was 2005, was the amount of debt that companies were taking on and this trend that companies were taking on more and more debt. And the the debt was something called covenant-free, meaning there were no strings attached to it, basically. They didn't have to live up to a standard. And I kind of was starting to pose this question of, wait a minute, like if companies don't have to live up to a financial standard... And they're taking on billions of dollars. Does that really end well? So that story ended up being the one that Cranes decided to have me write, and they paid me for it. 
to your question, um, which is a really good one about do you, how do you sort of think through the work and do you do it for free? I really struggle with that because I think if you say no, I don't think that, that you're going to get hired. It's interesting, like for us at the skim, uh, I think for almost every job, we have candidates do a project or a mm-hmm. homework assignment. And the purpose of that, and we've written like blog posts about it, is um, one, to see how they think, yep. two, to have like an actual live kind of brainstorm session, yeah. see how they interact. And then three, like, are they, can they meet a deadline? Yeah. Like, how are they, pro- you know, what's their professional skills? And, um, but I think we're also try to be, you know, very mindful that also people, you know, they're not getting necessarily paid for that interview process. Right. I, I think it's when, it's not when it's in the interview process, it's when it's, they ask you again. Yeah. Right. So you do it once for free. Mm-hmm. And then when they come back and they ask you again and it becomes an ongoing thing, mm. that to me is like, you need to be upfront about, of course, if you're applying for a job, like it's, I think, natural to want to see how someone goes through that. And especially, you know, like us, we, it's across the board. So it's not specifically our writers or it's not specifically um, our designers, right? It's everyone. Um, but I think with journalism, that is really interesting. And it's something that I definitely did not navigate well early in my career was setting the limits up front on how much I would do for free. Right. Well, I think that it's a really good point. And I also think that you, you, when you're in the process of applying for a job, it's as much about you getting a sense for that organization and the culture of the place. And if you're dealing with people who or an organization that might not be honest on its face or taking advantage in to another degree. Of course, in a lot of jobs, especially the sort of upper echelon, high profile, hard charging ones, there's going to be a certain stress attached to it and expectations that you go above and beyond. But I think it's really important to listen to your instincts in that process, too, where if you're not feeling good about it, then it might not be the cultural fit for you. We're going to take a quick break to tell you about a podcast that's been top of mind for us lately. It's called Work Life with Adam Grant, the organizational psychologist. He actually visited Skim HQ this past year to talk to our team, and it was the most inspired we've ever been. Truly, he's amazing. Well, anyway, on this season's premiere of Work Life, you are going to learn about how to harness the power of frustrated people to shake up the status quo. People like Brad Bird, when he set out to make The Incredibles, people told him it would be impossible. Brad found some unconventional thinkers and made it happen anyway. That's just one example. Every week on Work Life, you will go inside the minds of some of the world's most unusual professionals to find the keys to better work life. You can listen to Work Life with Adam Grant wherever you listen to podcasts after you finish listening to this episode of Skin from the Couch. Speaking of, let's get back to our conversation. So we've talked about making the switch and the process that went into it. Let's talk about when you actually started. What was your first day like at Cranes? Um, Well, it was... It's hard to actually remember back that far. I think it was it was a little bit daunting because it's kind of like I've never done this before in this capacity. So there was a feeling of I really need to excel in this and prove myself. And I think that came up even more at CNBC, frankly, because when I was at CNBC, I joined CNBC not that long after. Um, and 
I really had this feeling at the time, and it was the most important thing to me, and I remember it so vividly because of how important it was to me, that I proved to my coworkers that I deserved to be there and that I wasn't taking for granted that I had sort of had this fast track way of getting in. And it was everything I did was with that in mind. I wanted to be the most helpful person I could be. You know, I came in as they called me an associate reporter and eventually I, I became a correspondent. But in that role as associate reporter, I just wanted to be helpful. I would do research for people. I would show up, you know, before other people and leave at the late into the night. And my now husband was my boyfriend at the time and we were doing long distance and he was in Chicago and I was in New York. And there were lots of weekends where I was supposed to get on a flight to come see him in Chicago and something would come up at work and I would call him at the very last minute and say, you know, I love you, but I can't take this flight because it's really important. And thank goodness he like was cool with that. I would say that he was just really understanding that I was, <laughs> I don't know if he was cool with it, but he was understanding <laughs> enough. He stuck and, around. <laughs> yeah, he stuck around and he understood it was my dream. Like that was my dream job and I had it and I had to do everything to protect it and work towards building on it. What was the worst rookie mistake you made? Um. Well, one of the things that came up on that job, there was there was actually a mistake on air that I made. And it was a script that another person had written. And by the way, most of the scripts that I read are things that I've written. But at this point, it was something someone else had written. And I realized afterwards that there was an error in it. And I sent this email to the person who had written the script, as well as the most senior person on the team, basically being like, this can never happen again. And I don't think there was a mistake to expect that things were right and to hold myself accountable for that. But the way I delivered the information uh, was not the right way to deliver the information, which I learned post when I got this call from the person who was the very senior person basically berating me, being like, uh, listen, if you think that you can go around and, and make like proclamations like this, you got another thing coming. But again, back to that mentality of I have to be on my game and I have to prove myself. That was where I was coming from. But it was a it was a bad mistake because it just it didn't um, it didn't help engender goodwill in the system. We read that and tell us if this is true, but we yeah. read that you gave yourself two years mm -hmm. to make it make it or break it. Yep. And. I did. How did you know that it was working? And were there moments where you're like, this might have been a colossal mistake? I think at that point, so first of all, two years, yes, that is that is the case. Now, was it, uh, who knows what would have happened if two years out, it still wasn't sort of coming together. I don't know if I would have said, okay, let's extend the timeline a little bit because I really did want it. Um there were plenty of times along the way, especially during the Cranes years, and uh, it wasn't years, it was actually shorter than that, but during the time with Cranes and this magazine called Business 2.0 that I was freelancing for, I definitely had this feeling of, oh, what, what am I doing here? Like, I had a, a legitimate job um, that was, you know, that that people would talk to me about, and now I'm in this world where... I don't know from day to day if I'm going to have 
another article to write because who knows? You're only as good as your last article. Um, I think that the doubt actually, not that it's gotten bigger later in my career, but I think it's an interesting thing where you sort of early on, you're you're just hoping to get whatever that next cool thing is. And you are so hungry for the opportunity. And then once you have some of those opportunities and you have more of the um, pedigree and, and things that you've, you've done, there's so much to protect there. And that's where it's it gets, for me, even more murky. Like the, we were talking earlier about what's not on my resume and it's the choices along the way. You never really know. I mean, you hope, but you never really know. You found a way to bridge your passion with journalism, with finance that you've had a, a working background in. How does that affect what you hire for? What do you look for in candidates? Because I think one of the questions we get all the time is, I'm in this, but I really want to be doing that. Yeah. Okay. Well, we have two amazing examples of people on my team here. Taylor Dunn, my producer, and Lane Wynn, who just joined us as well on the team as my research assistant. And I think, um, first of all, it is the excitement around the opportunity is a must. Um, I I want people who really care. And I feel so lucky that the, the women sitting here in this room today are women who genuinely care. You know this at the skim. If somebody has, you know, the most perfect background, but they don't care, they're not going to be a really valuable part of the team. And for me, I look for people who have room to grow, who want to grow, who are hungry. Um, obviously, attention to detail, organization, and then just getting a feel for um, how they think and how they problem solve. You talked about the skim and, and the um, questionnaire that you give or the sort of project that you give people, that's really important to me as well. I'm looking for creativity and I'm looking for resourcefulness. Um, and I I feel really lucky that I found that. At The Skim, we love books. We have one coming out, How to Skim Your Life. We recommend them in the Daily Skim every week, but it can be really hard to read on the go. And that is why Audible is our absolute favorite thing. Here's how it works. Audible members can choose three titles every month. You get one audiobook and then two Audible originals that you can't hear anywhere else. You can listen on any device, anytime, anywhere, and you get exclusive sales and 30% off all regularly priced audiobooks. It really helps me out when I'm about to get on the plane and sometimes I get nervous. So I just throw on an audiobook and I relax and it definitely makes flying a little bit easier. Get started with a 30-day trial when you go to audible.com slash skim or text skim, S-K-I-M-M, to 500-500. Again, that's audible.com slash skim or text skim to 500-500. So we have one more segment, and it is our lightning round. Okay. So we are going to ask you a bunch of questions, and you need to answer as fast as you can. Are you ready? Let's do it. Okay. What did you think you were going to be when you grew up? President. (laughs) (laughs) That could still happen. Um, College major. Econ and law letters and society. Constitutional law. First job. The whatever show. (laughs) Worst job. Okay. Uh, Probably banking. 
But, you know, there's caveats to mm-hmm. that. Worst professional mistake you've made? So the one I told you earlier, I just want to say, I think the biggest mistake, and this is going to be a longer thing, but just bear with me for a second. Early in my career, I was afraid to ask questions because I didn't want to sound stupid or like I didn't know something. And I wish that I could go back and ask those questions. I don't think it's a long-term problem, but I just wish I had a little more faith that I could ask it and get an answer and move on. Phone call. First phone call when you get good news. My husband. What about when you get bad news? Probably my husband. (laughs) (laughs) When's the last time you negotiated for yourself? Mm, Right now. Go-to interview question. Well, you know I ask everyone, what's the worst advice you ever received? So that's my go-to no-limits interview question. What drives you at this point? Um, Happiness. Wanting to be a happy, well-rounded person um, with really cool opportunities. So that's our favorite one. What is your shameless plug? Oh, well, No Limits podcast, obviously. <laughs> I mean, it's it's my baby. I know you guys care so much about the conversations that you're having here. And that's, for me, it's just, it's a place where people like the two of you can come and talk about your work. And I hope it demystifies for our listeners the path, because I think what you see is there are trade-offs all along the way, and there's no one way. But hearing about how choices have been made um, is a really useful thing. And I love it. And I hope our listeners do too. So we will continue that shameless plug. Yeah. Rebecca, thank you for being on Skin from the Couch. And don't forget to head over to No Limits with Rebecca Jarvis to catch our interview next. Can't wait, you guys. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra.